So I'm going to do this is my Bible. This is God's word because it's so good. All right, chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what were they thinking about? Look what keeps coming up. They're they're envisioning what they want to see, and that's Jesus creating this kingdom. And after all their servanthood and all of their walking with Jesus, they're expecting a place of recognition. It's all about who's going to be great. I mean, we even know that James and John's mom even came and talked to Jesus about that. Where are my boys going to be in the kingdom? You know, greatness about on this earth. It's like we are so ingrained with thinking that success and greatness is about what people think, what we've achieved. It's all about the now. It's all about this world. And Jesus is going to give an example. Now, the thing is, they're not going to want to hear this because they, they want to hear, oh, I'm going to put you here, and everybody's going to see you here, and you've achieved here. And, and instead... He called a little child and had him stand among them. I mean, that had him been, you know, what are you doing here? Because we know the disciples kind of thought children were pain in the neck. So we know that when Jesus came and brought a child, their, their first thought was, you know, what about this kid here? And Jesus is saying, this is what greatness looks like. And he used this as an illustration because what does a child do? What does a child do? A child trusts. We've talked about this before. A child puts their hand in a parent's hand. A child knows that their parent will never lead them down the wrong path. A child just knows that their parent has their best interest in mind. I mean, uh, this illustration, that was brilliant because the attitude and the actions of a child are exactly what Jesus wants for us. It's not what we've achieved. It's not who we are and what people think of us. It is where our heart is. And what's coming out of our heart? And what are our priorities? How is our life lived because of our heart? Because remember, he's already taught us that. What's in our heart is determining our character. That's why I don't know how we can do Matthew 18 without having done the previous passages in Matthew because they all have built on each other. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, unless you change. So in other words, he's showing you right now, you've got to change. Because the way you are right now, your heart condition, your priorities, your thoughts about just now, now, now. He said, that's got to change. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Boy, that's major. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child and trust that way. 
I've said this so many times, but this is just proof again that he expects us because what does a child do? Listens to what the parent says. What does Jesus say to us? You're not going to get to heaven unless you humble yourself and see yourself the way you really are and that you really need a savior and there is no way you could get to the glory without it, without him. You have got to get to that humble, low condition. That's why I always say, before you can have the greatest day of your life, you've got to have the worst day of your life. You have got to humble yourself to realize your need. And if you don't, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven because this is the way he set it up. We have got to come humbly to the cross of Christ knowing there's nothing we could do to be bought back, to be redeemed. You have got to get to that position. And unless you become and have the faith of that child and see yourself as a helpless in need of, you're not going to get there. He said, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. And Jesus' definition of great is absolutely the opposite of the world's definition of great. And the quicker we learn that, the better. And then we've got to ask ourselves the question, who are you going to serve today? Or who do you really say that he is? And if you say he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then who are you going to serve? Because he said, you humble yourself like this child. That's who's great in the kingdom. That's the way I look at greatness, Jesus says. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. So now he's saying, for in, in verse 3 and 4, he's pretty much saying, I want you to take a good look at you. Because you can't bring anybody farther than you are. So verses 3 and 4 makes you look at you. And then after you've gotten your life right with him, then he says, okay, now you're going to be you're going to be used by me. You're going to be an influence. You're going to be a testimony. That's why in the, in the questions I asked you, does your behavior matter? Our behavior matters. I don't think we really comprehend how much our behavior, and that's why again in previous chapters he's talked and stressed that our, that our walk has got to match our talk. So he said, anyone who welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me, but if anyone causes one of these little ones, and little ones, I mean, it can literally be little ones like me with my Greta this week, or, or little ones, you know, I even look at my sons, and as grown up as they are, they're still my little ones, because I will always be their parent. And so you've got to stretch this word a little bit. What kind of example are you? What kind of behavior are, are you seeing? And this whole thing about, oh, you know, I want to have a talk with you kids because I don't want you to do this. Yeah, but you do it. Well, yeah, I know. Do as I say, not as I do. That is the most ridiculous pile of crock I've ever seen. And I don't mean to be so blatant, but it is. And we have used that. Do as I say, not as I do. 
Our behavior matters. It's influential. It shows them what we believe, and that is what we are to share and show them. I think it's that important. That's why he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it is better for him that a large millstone be hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, you've read that. I've read that many times. All of a sudden, well, you know what that meant? That little one is better off having you not even here than you leading them down the wrong path. <gasps> That's what he said. It'd be better, he said, if a millstone be hung around your neck and you drowned into the depths of the sea. That means you're not here. So Jesus is saying, it is better that you weren't even here at all than be a bad influence and take them right to the doors of hell. I thought that was major there. Woe to the world, he says. Woe to the world. Now, he knows that sin came in, Genesis 3, this world has gotten worse and worse, cultures, everything has changed so much. He knows that this world and its influences and its pull, don't you think that this world is luring us in, that it entices our teenagers? This world has such uh, appealing this world is such an appeal for our kids and for us too. Sin is appealing because it says what we want to hear. It allows us to do what we naturally want to do. And that's why he says, woe to the world. I can remember in, in Romans, it, in the Living Bible, that's not a version, it's just a paraphrase, but I like the way it said this. Do not let the world suck you into its mold. You know, or we say, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the, by the renewing of your mind. The Living Bible puts it in those words, do not let this world suck you in. And that's why Jesus says, woe to this world. He knows the pull and the alluring because of the things that cause people to sin. Woe to the world. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. In other words, sin has taken over this world, and so <laughs> we can expect that because that's just what sin does. It gets on a slippery slope, and it gets worse. But then he also says, woe to the man that it comes through because it takes mouths and hands and feet. It takes our behavior. It takes influence because we are training the next generation. If your hand or your foot, now, now he's getting, okay, I want you to verbalize this, he says. I want you to take sin so seriously. And when you're tempted and when, when it appeals to your flesh and all that kind of stuff, I want you, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It's better that you go into heaven maimed. It says that about the eye. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes. And then, and then where? You keep letting sin reign in your life and you don't take it seriously and you don't get rid of it and you don't really care what kind of influence you are and what you're teaching the next generation. If you're taking this too lax, He's saying, you know what? And, I, and the words, I'm not being ultra, ultra dramatic here. He's saying, I'm not, that, that, that's going to lead them right into hell. That's so serious this is. But then he also, you know, you know that he's not, he's not saying, oh, go, go cut off an, a leg or an arm or gouge an eye out. He doesn't want our bodies maimed, literally. He doesn't want us to deform our bodies and mutilate our bodies. He isn't saying that. He's saying, and I'm going to go back to that TV program that I know you still want to know which one it is, and I'm still not going to tell you, but because let me just tell you, when it's going to come on, I know when it's going to come on. And I, after a long day or a long night, I just think, oh, you know, I kind of deserve, oh, I just laugh, I like that show, you know, and I'll just pop a little popcorn, and you know, I got it coming, after all. <laughs> you know, I'm fi- I finally realize now what he's saying, you're better cutting off your eye, go take a bath. <laughs> because that bath is going to do a whole lot better for you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got, it's like Joseph. Let her have your coat. You run. Because you're starting to see that this, once it starts creating itself in you, and what's in your heart comes out of you, and, and that develops your character, he said, it's better. You've got to do whatever it takes. Cut it off. Because that kind of influence is only going to hurt you, and then what comes out of you is going to hurt the next generation that you are responsible for. I think he's. I think in that passage he is really saying, "Look at your character, look at your attitude, look at how you deal with difficult situations and difficult people, and look at how you." deal with others. This chapter is loaded with references to how our behavior is effective, not only to ourselves but to others. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones? For I tell you that there are angels in heaven and always see the face of my Father in heaven. Isn't that a precious thought that we have angels that that know us and protect us and I mean I just thought that was such an endearing verse for I tell you that they're they're angels that have been instructed for me what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away I love the way he now tells this story because he wants you and I to see again our worth 
He did that in previous lessons. He keeps doing that. He gives us these tough instructions. He knows our human nature. He knows that we are at war with ourselves always. He understands that. But then he comes back with a story like this to make sure that we see our worth to him and that he's got to teach us hard and that he's got to remind us our frailty and that we need to cling to him that our natural human desire is is to be enticed by the world so he comes back with this beautiful story if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away will he not leave the 99 and go to look for the one that wandered off and if he finds it I tell you the truth. Now look at if he finds it. Did you catch that? What did we say? If. If is what? A choice. If he finds it. That means he's saying, we know that God is able. The message is available. But that little sheep's got to decide. We're that little sheep. We've got to decide. It's right there hope and salvation and abundant living and the God's promises and faith. It's right there. But I got to decide to take it. I've got to decide if I'm going to let it change me. So that's why he says, and if he finds it, and if, if they say yes, I tell you the truth. He is happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. That's how valuable one soul is to him. That's how valuable. But I think that little word, I-F, that is so pertinent right there because we've got us, we've got the shepherd sees to it. The shepherd, the shepherd makes it all available. But we got to decide if we're going to find it. In the same way, your father in heaven is now willing that any of these little ones should be lost. See, that should show you, who does Jesus go after? The lost. Does he pick favorites? No. He's not willing that any of these little ones. So God has done his part. He's made salvation possible. It is not his will that any perish. But whose fault is it when they say, no thanks? Is it his? Oh, he gets the blame, but it isn't. Okay, then he moves on and he says, if your brother sins against you, did you notice brother? That means a fellow believer, a fellow Christian. So brother or sister in Christ, if they've sinned against you, if they've hurt you, Now he's going to say, this is the way you handle it. Because again, he knows what is our human nature. If someone hurts us, our human nature wants to do one of two things. Either write them off or let's tell everybody about this. 
so that I looked so, I looked so sad and they looked so bad. He knows that that's our natural. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret because I believe in total transparency, why I believe this is so prominent. Before Bible study started this fall, I had a, a great sister in Christ, and she still is, and I love her dearly. But she said something that I could not believe, and I was hurt to the core of my being. And I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely the opposite of what I stand for, and I could not believe it. And I watched my human nature. I thought, well, I guess if that's what she's going to think, and then I'm just writing her off. Or let's let's just tell everybody about this so that they'll feel sorry for you and they'll see what a little rat she is right now. And then I was reminded of this. Jesus said, this is what I want you to handle it because it's going to happen. This, you're, you're going to, there's going to be circumstances like this that this is going to happen. People are going to say something, they're going to do something, and it is going, you have got, this is how you handle it. Go and show them. Go and tell them what they did and how you took it and how it hurts you. Tell them. And if he listens to you, have won your brother over. Because you know, you know, now that's why he says, that's why he starts with this one, because you know what? I really feel because it happened to me. Nine chances out of ten, you handle it this way. You go to the person. You say, maybe you didn't even realize. Maybe you didn't even mean it this way. But this is the way it came across to me. And I want you to know, it hurt me to the core. I want you to know that. Because, see, I don't want to write you out of my life. And it wasn't right for me to just tell everybody. I want to come to you first because I want you to explain. And you know what I found out? Total misunderstanding. Nine chances out of ten, it's usually something that is taken wrong or I was having a bad day. I'm so sorry I didn't mean it. Jesus knows that if, if you don't, if you just go to that one person and you don't tell the world and you don't, because in all my studying in the last few weeks, I have never seen Jesus say, write him off. And that is so what we want to do. Write them off. Well, why? Because you don't want to be hurt again. But I've never seen the way Jesus is acting in the what in his comments. He never says write them off. So this is what he says. It's just one on one. No one else has to know. Get it out. Get it over with. And like I said, I bet 99% of the time it will be resolved if you handle it that way. And then he says, well, if they want to be difficult, then take one or two people as testimony, as witness. But he moves right in and says, if that don't work, because see, right now you know that their heart is hard. 
And then he says, go to the church. Now, literally go to the church. What I, what I think is, as the body of Christ, we come to you because as the body of Christ, we listen to him. And he says this. This is the non-negotiable we're standing on here. That's what the church is. The church is the body of Christ listening to God's word, living by God's word. Okay, then they don't listen either. Their heart is so hard. Now what do we do? Now, I first read this where it said, oh, then treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I thought, good, write him off. And then I thought, no, what did Jesus do to Matthew? What did Jesus do to Matthew's friends that night of the big party? What did Jesus do for pagans and sinners? He forgave, he went to him. He made himself available. The whole goal is to love him into the kingdom. The phrase that I, that kill him with kindness. You, you do because your goal is to win them. And there again, do you see Jesus? Write them off. See, that's where we want to go. Write them off. No, no, you still have a job to do. Live it out so that they can see. And then he says, I tell you the truth. I hope you're looking at that now whenever you see Jesus say, I tell you the truth. You, know, you really take a look at what he's saying. And he talked about this before in our lesson, lesson a couple weeks ago. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about it in the, in the context of relationships. He's just saying, you stand on the non-negotiable principles of Scripture. And let's say you still don't get the response that, that is what they, what they need to do. They still refuse. If you've used my word, and remember, what's bound on earth is bound in heaven. What's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You use God's word. Even if you don't get the results that you want, he is saying, I stand with you. And if we know that our Lord is standing with us, even if the friendship goes away, whether they leave and go to another whatever, we can have the assurance that if we stood on the principles of God's word, we're hearing God say to us, I'm standing with you even when we don't get the results we want. Because humans are humans, and hard hearts are hard hearts. But it's so easy to crumble when we don't get the results. But Jesus is saying here, you stand on my word that doesn't change. I'm with you. And that should be all we need. Again, I tell you that if two of you are on earth, agree about anything, see, that's what he's saying. He wants us agreeing together on the principles of God's word. 
He says, if two of you, two of you are gathered together in my name, there I'm with you. I think, I think that says so much. I think he wants us to make sure that, that we're standing on God's principles, that, that we have someone that agrees with us on God's principles. But also, I think he's saying, we're two or three to, are gathered together. I want you to know that I work as powerfully with two or three as that I do two or three hundred or two or three thousand. When I'm working, it doesn't have anything to do with numbers. And then finally, he tells this parable. And I love the way Matthew used this in the context of the principles and the lessons of these last couple of chapters. He ends with this parable. Then Peter came to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he keeps sinning against me? Up to seven times. I went back to the Jewish law, and the law was three. And then after three times, oh, you, could, you could write him off. Aren't you glad Jesus came and fulfilled that law? Because you think of how many people would be writing off. And Jesus said, no, this, uh, we've got a whole new way of handling things. And that's love. It's unconditional love. It's grace. That's what changes lives. So Peter, being kind of the big shot he is, how about if I forgive seven times? And, and Jesus smiles. He knows Peter. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to tell you 77 times. Another version says 70 times seven. And we know the number seven means you just keep forgiving again and again. Did anybody notice the sign when you came into church this morning? Oh, it was so wonderful. It said, forgive again and again. I said to the Lord, okay, I get it. I saw it in your word. I saw it in the marquee this morning. Forgive again and again. And you know what else I'm discovering is that the person, because I had this happen. I, I was sinned against one time. It was a monster. Not that there's one sin greater than another, but in, in my life's reaction, this was a monster. And I forgave. But it's amazing to me because it was such a monster experience that woe to the world because the world still is, it's all over the place. So every now and then, that reminder comes back to me and it takes my breath away. And all of a sudden, I don't even like that person. And they didn't even do it again. So what do I need to do? I need to forgive again. Because I found I don't even like that person. And that can cause a wedge. That could destroy a relationship. And Jesus is teaching us how to deal with difficult people in different difficult circumstances. He's saying, your responsibility is to bring it to me. Forgive. Forgive again. And what happens when you forgive? He remembers it no more. Because the thing is, when it comes back to your mind, who does that? The world, the enemy, 
self. Because where is that sin if it's been forgiven? It's under the blood. So when it comes back to you, that's bad. That's from the enemy. So you get rid of it. You forgive again. And you remember, that's right. The one that matters, he removed it. So he tells a story about this man who loaned this man, let's just say a million dollars, maybe five million dollars. Let's just say it's a debt that's not paybackable. And so when the time came for the man to call in the debt, the man couldn't, the other man couldn't pay it back. So the master said, well, then I guess I'm going to have to take your wife and your children. The servant fell, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. (laughs) You know what the master is thinking? I know better. This debt is unpaybackable. I know it. You know it. It all sounds well and good, but it's impossible. Does that sound like anybody you know? That sounds like you and me. We have a debt that is unpaybackable. There's nothing we could possibly do to pay Jesus back for what he's done. So he says, your debt's clean. So keep that in your mind right now. You have been forgiven a debt. There's no way you could pay back. He knows it. You know it. And so he said, I'll take it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll pay it. What should that be doing to you and I? Oh, my goodness. And I want to know what happened between verse 27 and 28. There's nothing but white space, but something terrible happened between verse 27 and 28. And it's a four-letter word. It's called S-E-L-F. It's called, this is what faith in yourself looks like versus a mustard seed of faith in him. Here's the contrast in your actions. That's what happened between Verses 27 and 28. Because that same man that was forgiven this debt went to the man that owed him a measly 20 bucks. And when the man said, I'm sorry, I can't pay it, I can't pay it, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Now look how Matthew made sure he quoted Jesus exactly. Because in this parable, did you notice that this man that owed 20 bucks is saying the same words as the other man? Be patient with Be patient with me. I'll pay you back when he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison. He uses, the man came with that humble spirit. I can't, please, I'll do whatever it takes. You'd think this man would say, huh, who said that before? 
but no. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, it's a haunting verse, but it's supposed to be. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. That is exactly where salvation took place. That is exactly where the Holy Spirit lives. He's the one that can do in us what we can't do for ourselves. We went to the cross and accepted that grace. If you have any fathom of what that meant for you and where you would be without it, you and I should be tripping over trying to forgive the people in our lives. It's the least we can do after what he has done for us. So he's saying, if you can't forgive, if you carry on and you hold on and you have a right and you let those wrinkles between your two eyes get bigger and bigger and you let it permeate every part of your life and you stay crabby because you feel you, you deserve, they deserve it. And you have it and you have a right because after all, Jesus is saying, you don't even know what I did for you. (laughs) So maybe it never even happened. Maybe you just know the words. You maybe played a game. You've played church. You heard that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Yada, yada, yada. But you never really grabbed a hold of what you would be like if he hadn't. Because if you do... If you comprehend it, it isn't hard at all to forgive. Because it's in that kind of forgiveness. And, you know, sometimes people, this helped me a little bit. I'm just going to pass it on to you. Forgiveness, whether they want it or not, it only takes one person to forgive, and that's you. And taking it to the one who does. Reconciliation, well, that's another story. That takes both of you. That takes the two people. So Jesus isn't saying that there's always going to be reconciliation because the other person is still responsible. But when it comes to you forgiven, you're responsible and you alone. But the thing is, be set free. Because when you forgive, it sets you free. And that is the way he wants you to live. So have a good week, everybody.